welcome to Navigating Betrayal Live webinar podcast and YouTube channel. I'm your host, Kaylee Dunn, betrayal navigation coach, betrayal trauma therapist for over a decade and admin of this free Facebook group, Humans Navigating Betrayal. Stick around for a short Q&A. Also, don't forget the free virtual Love You Now conference that's taking place September 19th, 20th, 22nd to 23rd. Check the link for your free ticket. Um, and I'll drop the link below. So we have Hope Ray back with us today. Uh, she will be speaking at the conference as well. And I'm so excited for us to chat with her. Um, such a good friend and colleague. Uh, and I want to jump right in, but maybe since there are probably some people hopping on today with this hope that weren't with you or with this last time, could you just really quickly introduce yourself? Sure. Again, I know we just did this a couple weeks ago, but just for those who are tuning in new. Thank you. I'm Hope Ray. I'm a therapist in Michigan. I've been doing this work uh, for over a decade as well, working alongside uh, people who've been betrayed by infidelity and uh, whether that's working with them in their relationship, looking for restoration and healing or after the relationship um, or just individually. Uh, and so my new publication is a magazine that you see behind me and it's about complex partner trauma. There it is. <laughs> I see you, you might need a new copy. I'll have I do. I've read mine to pieces. <laughs> if you look through, it's like totally written all over and anyway, love it. Well, that I love that. And, uh, that publication is written for women who've been through betrayal. And in that publication, I'm talking about betrayal violence and kind of putting forth some new terminology that I hope will, you know, unify our field and help people going through this feel more understood and clear about what to do and how to move forward into healing, whether that's on their own or within the relationship. Yes. And I highly recommend if you guys haven't picked this up and you are, even if you're not new to this field, if you've been here for a while, if you experienced betrayal, if you're an advocate at this point or do, doing a lot of work to really look at the work that Hope is doing um, because it's so needed. It's absolutely so needed and so necessary. And it does nothing but bring together all of the helpers, right? We have a lot of helpers from different arenas that have different opinions and thoughts. And some of those tend to conflict. And I feel like Hope's work really helps give a lot of understanding between all the different parts and people that are that are taking part in this helper community. So, um, and, then, and then it really is helpful, obviously, for you as someone who's been through betrayal, to, to have a shared language to describe what's going on for you, what's going on for your partner, um, or go, maybe this isn't what's going on for my partner. Maybe there's more intimate partner violence or something else that's going on um, or a combination of factors. So I think that it really brings in so much awareness. And anyway, I, I'm just finishing up my, um, my program and I've, I have run a program for betrayed partners for many years. Um, but I'm working on creating a digital product, something that people can do some live group coaching with me through. And I quote hope throughout. So, um, and that's new. That's an additive to what I've created in the past. So it's exciting. Yeah. Thank you, Kaylee. Your support of this work and the ability to bounce ideas off of you. I just value that so much, but yes, of course. Well, let's get started talking about disclosure and polygraph. I know this is a big question that's come up for a lot of people, myself included, when I was going through this, what is a disclosure? What is a polygraph? Why do I need it? And, you know, I just put as the title who, what, when, where, why, how, like, let's just talk about, let's start with what is a disclosure. 
Um, but I kind of want to turn that to you, uh, Hope. I know that you you do disclosures in a unique way, and I can speak to the way that I historically have done them as well. So we can give people a picture of of all different you know ways that they're done. But let's just start that conversation. So what is a disclosure, and uh, and then just take the ball from there, Hope. Yeah. Well, at its root, I guess, disclosure is where the truth comes out in its whole. And sometimes people try to do this at home and it doesn't go well. And the reason it doesn't go well is because when somebody has been uh, living a secret life and using deception and, and gaslighting and things to keep that hidden and to avoid the consequences, they lose their credibility with their partner. So okay. the reason an at-home disclosure doesn't go well is because even if that person is telling the truth uh, or even being thorough about the whole story, there really needs to be kind of a third-party verification system that allows right. the person who's receiving that disclosure to feel that they have, in fact, the whole story, the whole truth, because their partner is not somebody that they fully trust. And even if they sense there's honesty in that disclosure, there's always this part of the brain that stays activated in that safety mode of, but what if? But what if? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so an at-home disclosure is not recommended. Uh, the type that works well is the clinical kind that you and I do. We do it in different yeah. ways, but both effective ways. And yeah. the use of a polygraph is a huge helpful tool in many Addition. cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those DIY do-it-yourself uh, disclosures I've done a lot of redos on people who've done the DIY disclosures at home. And to be honest, I personally, I'll just speak to this personally, um, you know, in addition to the clients that I've seen over the years who've experienced this as well. I mean, I was like a really good interrogator, FBI agent, right? Um, and so for, and, and I was a therapist and I was trained and I had for years had just gotten every little tiny detail-y piece of information out of my husband. And yet we still weren't, we still weren't there, right? And there were some other pieces, you know, which is part of the course that I teach that I was missing as well. But, but one of the big pieces was this disclosure. And I knew it was there. I knew it was something that, oh, I should do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm supposed to do that, but I don't need to. I already know all the information. And there was something about, uh, certainly part of it was, was the clinician, right? Having a third party, having that witness, right? Having that witness, having a person who has, who also has a good BS meter. I really trusted my BS meter for the most part, but I was like, eh, it's good to have that other person. Right. Um, but there's also something really powerful about a chronological narrative. Yeah. And, um, because I had all the details, but they were all disjointed in my brain because I'd heard about this detail first and then this detail next. And then this detail from all this, you know, you, you hear about it in all these different scrambled up orders. And there is really something about having your partner create a chronological narrative. At least that's how we did it. Uh, a chronological narrative and have that read to you like a story that does something in the betrayed partner's brain, right? It really creates this organization of, oh, this is what I'm healing from, right? right. Um, because without that, you're just like, you know, I mean, I'm a smart woman, I have a master's degree, but it it just it's not really about something that you logically are doing, but almost something in the unconscious that clicks together. So we can talk in a minute about how the how the disclosure benefits the betrayed partner, uh, the malefactor, the betrayed the betrayed partner. Um, in the relationship, but I think for me, number one is um, it's helpful. It's not necessary for healing if you're not going to stay in the relationship, but it's helpful to get that full disclosure um, if you're going to stay in the relationship just for the chronology part. 
Yes. Oh, everything you said. I mean, I, I took a couple of quick notes because I think you just downloaded, you know, huge pillars of information. One is that, you know, when you do this in a clinical structured way, you're getting a lot of benefits. One of those benefits is that it offloads the responsibility from the betrayed partner to mm. the leading point on getting to the information. That dynamic, yeah. what has been so problematic during the deception and the abusive, evasive hiding um, behaviors that may have been going on for years and years at this yeah. point. And so when she's in charge of leading the investigation, uh, it it doesn't fix that dynamic. What has right. to happen when somebody's in a carefully prepared for clinical disclosure is the person who's had the secrets is outlining their sexual history and yeah. any secrets really related to that. And the idea is that they are uh, providing the information that's essential and it, it fixes that dynamic, uh, which contributes to an equity huge in the relationship. Yes, I love that. And maybe another way to say that is when we're traumatized or experiencing complex partner trauma or distress or whatever it is, it's normal and natural for us to seek truth, to seek information as a form of self-preservation. But that is an, a mental and an emotional load that actually puts us in kind of a subservient position in a way, not intentionally, but it puts us in this, we're carrying this mental and emotional load for someone else, right? We're just schlepping it around for them. And that's not our ours to do. That's not our labor to be doing. So that labor is often un unintentionally exploited as our partner's just like, I'll just sit here and you ask me questions. Yeah. Um, and I'll try to, and I'll try to deceive you and you're doing that labor. And so by doing the disclosure and you say, you know what, actually you do the labor, you show me, you make a, a living amends by showing me that you're going to take on that labor that helps restore trust in a way it can, if it's done authentically. And it starts to shift that, that labor that you've been doing that doesn't belong to you. That's right. And the reason we do that makes a lot of sense. It's trauma-based and it's responsive to the fact that this is the person who has the information that I need. So yeah. you are going to get it because it's not being given to us. It's perfectly reasonable that we do that, but it does put us in that position to essentially be lied to again. It puts us in the position mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, like you said, have to carry the load and yeah. uh, frankly, lead the charge, it offloads responsibility from the person who needs to be really rising to the occasion there. Yeah. So and, and while we are the active participant, right? So it, it's easy for someone to maybe hear what I said and think, and I think this might be kind of what you were saying is it might be easy to hear what I said and go, oh, so it's my fault that I'm taking on this load. And I think there are clinicians who've kind of pointed fingers and been like, you're doing too much. You shouldn't stop. But really, like you said, it's a reaction to neglect. So there's a neglect that's going on and that and, and deception and, and there's active deception going on, which is a form of abusive communication. And, and so really it's, it's, there's no fingers pointed when we say like, I'm like, I did it for years and years. Right. Uh, and I don't have shame about that. There's it's a response to neglect and deception. Um, yeah. And, and what seeking saying, for safety. Exactly. What you're saying is, you know, that, it puts us in a position not only to potentially be lied to again uh, and have to decipher and determine if what we're getting is truth and, and be in charge of an investigation, but it also puts us in a place where we have to ask the perfect questions because if we're the ones carrying the load of disclosure, then, you know, if we miss a question, 
then the partner who's betrayed us is likely to, you know, let that one slide. And now we don't have information around that one place. Right. That's why it's important for them to do a really thorough investigation, digging into the corners. And you want to have them prep for this with an expert who is, you know, yeah. got eyes and ears to really move through this. Somebody who's done dozens and dozens and dozens of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let's talk about what is a disclosure, right? Because there might be someone who's like, okay, this is all great. What are you talking about? So let's just like rubber hits the road. What is actually happening in the therapy room with you or with me as the betrayer, the malefactor, the person who is, who has done the betraying behavior mm-hmm. as they come to the therapist, what are they doing um, either in an intensive format or week after week? Good question. What's happening? So, and let's caveat this by saying we're, we're going to describe what we see as best practice around here because the truth is this is not how all clinical disclosures are actually Go. set, unfortunately right. so we'll talk about the way that we see it work best yeah. uh, and so that would be to have the person who's going to be disclosing uh, prepare with somebody uh, who is helping them not only generate uh, their chronological timeline of their sexual development mm-hmm. like starting back from when they were young all the way mm-hmm. to present date uh, and that's important because it's it's really important to see the patterns that have developed usually from early on yeah uh, but also they are generating some insights that can be helpful uh, as they're disclosing. We're not disclosing, you know, sexual traumas and abuse. I mean, we might talk about or reference those things if they're there, but it's not a time for that person disclosing to, you know, generate em- empathy and compassion from them. Right. It's a time for them to outline the facts of what has happened. Sometimes when I'm working with people who are preparing their disclosure in their first draft, they've been very factual. And what we find is there's kind of gaps in the information that paint a picture uh, that may be worse than it is, um, Mm -hmm. or not adequate or thorough enough to describe what's going on. So what I'm doing to help someone prepare is filling in those gaps, generating some insight around how did it jump from this to this? Or, you know, you, how does it jump from an example would be, Uh, connecting with somebody online to meeting them in person, like what transpired, what's going on in the mind. And, and so some insights are needed there in order for them to paint a picture. And then this is read to the partner uh, who's also done some preparation for this traumatic event that she needs and that she is capable of handling um, in most cases that we need truth. And we'd rather know the gravest secret than not know the tiniest little insignificant thing. And it's important for her to be able to understand the endangerment she's been in. So she's prepared and she listens to this and then it should be able to ask any and all questions that she has. At times, I will help uh, people asking questions to navigate whether or not the information they're after is actually pertinent to their healing or if there's a deeper question at play. And if, Mm. if there is a deeper question at play, we'll usually go with that question because that's going to be really the information that she's seeking. So an example sure. of this, I say she right now, just talking about kind just of for convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of this would be, you know, uh, if there was an affair partner and she's asking questions about the body structure of that person, sometimes what the deeper question really is, is, um, is that what you prefer or uh, how does my body stand up against there? there? So, yeah. So where are you at in your attraction to me? And those are types of questions that we, we like to, you know, just be careful with, because here's the deal. 
I believe a, a partner has every right to know and, and have her questions addressed with an honest open book type of answer. But, but we also want to, you know, use caution for ourselves around the level of detail we fill in our brain that can become quite triggering information that we can't really do much about other than heal from over yeah. time. Mm -hmm. And so I think it should be a thorough disclosure and, and it should include any and all questions, but sometimes we want to, you know, be strategic and wise about the way in which we ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. While we're talking about betrayed partners or partners and, you know, their level of exposure, you know, you said most of us are like, and maybe I'd say maybe three quarters, maybe half really want the information, but we also have those who are like, no, thanks. <laughs> right. They're more of the, the, what I call wind survivors, more of an avoidant, like, ah, you know what, I just want this all to go away. Um, you know, let's speak to that a little bit, um, in terms of what consent they're allowed to give to how much information they receive.